Welcome to Buccaneer for Wildlife, a podcast hosted by me, Lucy Luck, where I talk to people across the Cornish County and beyond all about wildlife wonders, nature news and conservation in Cornwall today. Hello listeners, how have you been? It's February, it's a leap year, so it's a very short month, we've just had a full moon and it's been a month of storms here in Cornwall. I have been on lots of beach cleans, I have found lots of very cool things, I have found my first blonde egg case which was gorgeous, the size of my palm, I've also found two very old smarty lids which were first made in the 50s and the 60s and has the letters on them as a toy and they stopped making them in the early 2000s and yet they're still washing up and I found two which is very exciting like the Lego just ticking off my beachcomb enthusiast scavenger list and it's been very good with other things I'm now working with Constance Morris as Grandpa's Campus which is very very exciting and we're just going around Cornwall talking about our passions which is natural history, marine life and just bones and it's been going very well and I hope you've all been very well too. In today's episode I spoke to Emily Stevenson from Beach Guardian. Now Beach Guardian is a CIC which is a community interest company based in Cornwall co-founded by father and daughter duo Rob and Emily Stevenson. Their mission is to collect and remove rubbish from beaches by organising community beach cleans and lead educational workshops with schools and other groups to connect people with the environment to improve health and well-being of both people and planet. Emily is a marine biologist who is an advocate for the marine world and environment in so many ways. Currently studying for her PhD, Emily is conducting a research project assessing the bacterial colonisation of various microplastics sourced from different environments to evaluate the potential spread of pathogenic species such as E. coli. Emily is also an ambassador for Plastic Oceans UK keep Britain tidy, and so much more. I had a wonderful conversation with Emily. It was so lovely to just connect with her and just share our passions about beach cleaning, beach combing, about the marine environment, and just to know and understand a little bit more about Beach Guardian's journey and Emily's journey, and dive into topics about the plastic pollution problem, about the Walker Crisp dress, about the film that's recently come out and so much more that Beach Guardian and Emily are doing and so I hope you all enjoy it too and so without further ado here is Emily Stevenson from Beach Guardian. Welcome everybody to the podcast I am joined by the wonderful Emily from Beach Guardian today. How are you today Emily? I'm very well. Yeah, it's a nice, grey, miserable Monday, but I'm feeling good. (laughs) It's a perfect day to do a podcast because we're all stuck inside. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself, Emily, about you, your journey, and of course, about Beach Guardian? 
Sure. Uh, so I am currently 26 years old and I'm based in Falmouth where I'm studying for my PhD at the University of Exeter with Plymouth Marine Labs. But before that, I have been very lucky that I got to grow up here in Cornwall and uh, I've been living in Cornwall with my family for nearly 15 years, I think. So growing up here was absolutely incredible and one of the reasons why I feel like I have such this deep connection to the marine environment and why I've always been so kind of inspired and dedicated to protecting it. And I think it's because of this that I started Beach Guardian back in 2017 with my dad. And really, Beach Guardian started out of a what we saw as a community desire and demand to preserve and protect our local environment. And now it's because of the community that we're able to continue to grow and thrive. So it's it's been a wonderful journey. And it's so wonderful that you've done it with your dad. I think that's so wholesome. <laughs> and how is yeah, that, that journey? How do you share that with journey with your dad? Is it purely because you grew up beach cleaning? It's just what you've always done and you just want to share that to the rest of the world. Yeah, I mean, beach cleaning has always been a family activity for us. Um, it's something that I had always done with my dad as, as well as the rest of the family. And our kind of... Um, career paths just perfectly aligned at the right time because I was finishing my marine biology degree and I was starting you know I'd uh, my final year project was doing beach cleans and looking at the prevalence of plastic on our coastline so I was doing a lot of beach cleaning and he was going through a change in um in his job at the time and he saw that it was his big passion and he really wanted to do something he'd worked in business his entire life and he was like do you know what it is time for a change for me I want to do something that I actually enjoy so can I do it with you sort of thing and I was like well it works perfectly for me because you have all the skills that I don't have I don't have a business background so you know it, it kind of works perfectly where he can do the large majority of the finance and setting up the business and I can bring the science and uh, you know the experience and now as a result we've both learned from each other and our skills that we didn't have have kind of grown and we're just now a, a great team. That's incredible and it's a CIC so that's incredible as well it's because it's what the community wants you saw that gap and you filled it and you're doing great things. Yeah, exactly. You know, we we always wanted to be like a non-government organisation, a social enterprise and something for the community. When we first started, um, because, you know, I didn't have, well, neither of us had any experience in starting an NGO because, of course, he comes from, a, you know, a corporate background. So we instantly thought that the normal thing to do would be to become a charity, but after seeking advice and talking to great organisations like the Growth Hub and um, Tevi and lots of other um, you know, businesses in Cornwall that help support new social enterprises, they actually said that, you know, for a new business, it's probably better for us to become a CIC. And then once we had a year under our belt to become a charity, 
and we've been going for seven years now and we've still remained a CIC because it just works perfectly for us so you know there will come a time where we may become um, a charity or a CIO or yeah that's a term I've recently come across which is a new one yeah yeah so we've been advised to do something like that but honestly I I don't know I I quite like being CIC that's amazing and so going back to your journey something that popped up is the walker crisp dress let's talk about that and the impact that had on walkers and just the issue that crisp packets have why like it was such a powerful thing and you just wore it to your graduation and it had such a powerful impact yeah I mean this this was this is a really important part of my journey because I think this is what um this was kind of the the catalyst for a lot of things and really put us on the map of you know we are serious we're here to stay we want to make an impact and you know I think there was a time where a lot of it felt like there were some people that doubted our ability to instigate change, you know? So this was a really good and powerful moment for us. So when we do our beach cleans, um, we try and do it a bit like a treasure hunt. So we say, you know, go out there, find some plastic, but whilst you're picking up rubbish, there are some interesting things to find. You know, it's really engaging, especially for young people, but also it gets quite competitive in the older people too. Uh, You know, things like Lego that's been lost in the sea for 27 years since the container spill in 1997. Which is always making people go crazy. I found a piece two days ago. I'm so excited. I've only had the time to, but oh my God, it's this big tiny tiny tank oh just it's so exciting and it's it's a community like just just tiny piece of plastic brings so many people together like you say it's just a piece of lego yeah you're exactly right and it's really good for storytelling as well like the lego lost at sea um tale highlights so many key key aspects i suppose of plastic pollution but it's told in a very fun way like you can easily, you know, do a boring scientific presentation and talk about the persistence of plastic polymers or the power of oceanic currents and all that stuff. But the tale of the Lego Lost at Sea just knits it all together it in an accessible and an engaging way for all ages. So we we love that one. But also we, you know, with the the food packaging we say keep an eye out and every piece of food packaging you find check the use by date because this is a great way of us seeing how how long exactly how old it is and how long it's been in the environment and this gives us a real glimpse into the past you know we find crisp packets that are sort of 50 60 years old and some of them have adverts on them of you know I think I have some next to me here actually of course with it being a podcast your viewers won't be able to see. describe what's here. on it. Yeah, so I have some here. So um, this one, for example, is, uh, I'll show you, this is a Golden Wonder crisp Ooh. packet, cheese and onion. And you can see, like, look at the colour. The colour. Perfect. And if I just... 
like I am pulling on that quite hard. And that's and a crisp pack. It's like it looks like a bread bag. It's probably the best way you could describe it. Like it's yeah. I mean, it doesn't look like crisp. It doesn't look like a crisp pack like now at all. Yeah, because so this is the um so this crisp packet is fifty years old, and fifty years ago they didn't have that aluminium coating inside. It wasn't the traditional crisp packet that you would see today, and as you say, it looks really different. But what you can see is it's perfectly preserved fifty years later. And the other one here, this is a really cool one because on the front, this is a Golden Wonder cheese and onion packet, but you can see the price, the price. was three pence. <laughs> if only three pence. If only. Right? So, I mean, again, this, what I love about finding stuff like this is like the Lego Lost at Sea story, it communicates quite complex issues with plastic in a fun and engaging way I mean whilst this is like a cool collectible and it's quite exciting to look into the retro packaging of the past this communicates science that plastic polymers don't degrade they don't decompose and this is what I really wanted to convey with the Walker's crisp thing is that we find like I have four folders of crisp packets just like that I have hundreds of them we find so many of them and at the time no one else was talking about this no one was talking about the 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 plastic in the environment that isn't degrading and is going to remain here for centuries so I wanted to raise awareness of this and to do that I made a dress out of crisp packets that I wore to my graduation from my marine biology degree and Amazing. it communicated the message it did exactly what I needed it to do that's incredible as well with stories it makes people connect a bit more we can say oh plastics in the ocean for hundreds of years but people won't remember that but yeah. crisps are just a daily thing people can relate to that and it sticks more yeah you're right you have to make it um relatable relatable exactly you absolutely have to make it relatable and it's it's fun I I know someone who has a crisp packet and it's got back to the future on it so it's obviously an advert from the 80s when back to the future came out which is quite ironic because it's like a back to the future blast pass but yeah plastic is prominent in the future it's like it's weird that's am- I'm so jealous that's very cool <laughs> I like look at it all the time I'm like oh like yeah, I want that crisp packet in my good. collection. <laughs> That's amazing. Do you still have the dress? What have you done with it post I do. I do still have the dress, but I don't often get it out because um, it smells really bad. Oh, God. Did you have to <laughs> clean? I can imagine you've had to clean every individual packet and then... Yeah. Do you iron yeah. it? Do you iron it? I know people do that to make like firefighter life jackets they use old crisp packets and the foil to like make oh, wow. that I, I didn't I haven't seen that no I I'm not actually that creative I know people have said that they saw the dress and they're like oh my god this is like designer this looks so good and I'm like no if you look closely it was real real bad I literally just like stitched them onto a dress that that's so impressive and it, it was a real botch job. But the reason that it smells is because obviously I can't put this dress through the, the washing wash. machine. Um, and I wore it 
like the the few times that I wore it I was like very nervous you know (laughs) I wore it to my graduation and then live on the BBC and live on Sky News so every time I wore it I was like sweating profusely (laughs) so it just stinks of (laughs) PO. yeah not good so yeah I I don't get it out that often it's better to view it in a picture that's pretty cool (laughs) so linking on to more plastic problems there's talk about plastic pollution, massive topic. We have microplastics, nerdles. Uh, came across Guard- Beach Guardian's YouTube channel and you spoke about microfibers, something I didn't even acknowledge or think about. Got single-use coffee cups, plastic bags, the list goes on. Where do we start with this conversation about plastic pollution and the problems it has? I think... The most important thing when we talk about plastic pollution is to talk about what you've just said is that there there is there's so many forms of plastic pollution. And for some people, you know, they can think about that and it seems a bit doom and gloom. It's like, oh, my goodness, this is so overwhelming. Where do we even start? Like, how can we possibly address this when this is such a prevalent problem? Um, but actually, I see that as as part of the solution. And I see that as a benefit in that there are so many ways that we can tackle this. There are so many ways, so many things that people could do to address plastic pollution. You know, if you just want to tackle single use coffee cups, get yourself a reusable one or, you know, take your five uh, five single use coffee cups a week to just one on occasion. Yeah. You know? If you want to address plastic bottles, then get a reusable drinks bottle or only buy recyclable cans, you know. So there are so many different ways that individuals can tackle plastic pollution. For me, the most concerning, um, the one that, that I get really worried about are the microplastics, because, you know, you can't look at microplastics and be like, I will get a reusable drinks bottle like that it's not as an obvious easy fix because it's plastic pollution in general you know it's plastic so like the nurdles for example for those who don't know these are like the building blocks of plastic products they are the pellets that are melted into molds to get like a plastic bottle for example so for us to reduce the emissions of microplastics we just need to reduce plastic consumption which isn't like an achievable not an achievable it's not like a a, a a quick fix yeah exactly so yeah the microplastics really concern me um and I think that one in particular will require um kind of in industrial innovations Mm. and support from policy as well as uh, consumer change yes so I read somewhere 600 pellets so nurdles we were talking about makes one bottle Mm. I think facts like that as well need to be spread a bit more but again it can be quite doom and gloomy but just knowing that that when you do make that effort to not buy as many plastic bottles when you go to the shop you're making such a massive difference it's just getting that message out yeah yeah absolutely and you've just made me think of an excellent piece of PR material where (laughs) I often see um on social media people will be like sharing content where it's like uh, it's just one plastic bottle says eight billion people 
But it also, it's just one plastic bottle is 600 microplastics. So in making that very small change of not having one plastic bottle a day, is actually preventing 600 microplastics from being created. So, you know, that that is a huge change that you're making. And like if you go on the beach, it's impossible to pick up every single nerdle, but they're everywhere. So it's just raising that awareness on it. And like the microfibers on your video, I t I just didn't correlate that that was also another type of plastic. So it's just spreading that awareness as well. And so to people who don't know, what are microfibers? So microfibers are, if you think um, of a polyester fleece, for example, that's not all one material. That is an amalgamation of millions of polyester fibres all put together into your garment. So if you, for example, put that through the washing machine, ultimately that's going to shed microfibres into your washing and that will go into the plumbing system, go through wastewater and wastewater systems are not designed to filter out microfibers so frequently they just go straight out into surface waters um, through sewage effluent and um, one of the researchers that, has, that have done the most research on this is Dr Imogen Napper at University of Plymouth and she found that the one average washing load can produce 700,000 microfibers so per wash just one wash that's 700,000 microfibers going into the environment and just like microplastics these can be ingested and the microfibers are really concerning when we're talking about plastic ingestion because the pellets quite frequently will just be pooed out but the microfibers are so small that they can they, stick. Uh, they can stick. They remain in the stomach lining and through the intestinal tract, but also they can pass through uh, the organ barriers into tissue and all kinds of things and into the blood. Mm -hmm. So um, it is a it is a real big concern. But there are new innovations to help tackle this, like washing machine filters. And some countries, I think France, I can't remember the progress on this, but they're trying to pass legislation that all new washing machines should have microfiber filters installed in them. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. I really need to chase that up because it's either happened or it's or happening. Connected. Yeah, I can't, I can't actually remember. But um, the all party parliamentary group on antibiotics. No, not antibiotics. Sorry, that's my PhD brain working. The all party we'll parliamentary group on microplastics <laughs> are, um, are campaigning for the UK to do the same thing. And they're really pushing for the UK government to implement legislation for washing machines in the UK to have filters fitted. That's incredible. I didn't know that. That's really yeah. interesting. Yeah, but it's like coming. you said, important about the impact microplastics and the fibers have because there's this case of the killer whale. When was it? 2016. Lulu, she mm -hmm. had ridiculous amounts of PCB in her, so plastic plastic toxins. That firstly, she was entangled by big bigger plastic uh, fishing gear, but it was the toxins from the smaller plastics that ultimately impacted her health and her lack of being able to reproduce and she's the 
what the the highest concentration of toxic pollutants ever recorded in a marine mammal and Ugh. i think that, that's not i said that's a quite a doom and gloomy example as well but such a humongous animal like killed, yeah. ultimately was demised by the smallest piece of plastic and i think that needs to be spread as well but in a way that's, that's powerful really, stuff it's powerful but you yeah. don't want to be too doom and gloomy. It's, it's, I can imagine you've had to figure out a good balance on when you go to schools, you don't want to just be negative because there is positives. Like about the washing machines, it's small as a positive, but it's positive. Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, there is there is definitely a balance and we've had to learn this where people don't want to join a campaign that they think is already doomed. If they feel like they can't make a difference, they're not going to bother. So we really have to make sure that whilst we communicate the reality, that's the balance. We also have to um, ensure people feel like you know they can make a difference, which they absolutely can with plastic pollution. We absolutely can turn the tide on this, and in many ways we already are. So you know we see the difference on our coastline um, with through the beach cleans that we've yeah, been doing. Every so, beach clean, you've automatically seen the difference you make immediately yeah, exactly yeah it's, it's a fantastic tool i think beach cleaning and it's often undervalued which is a real shame i think so but i'm i'm the same i i'm always beach cleaning i like finding looking for lego bones the oldest thing you can find it brings people together like some of my bestest friends i've met vince doing like volunteering we just we we beach clean all the time and it's like people you didn't think you'd be joining with. Like I've got yeah. friends all ages from all sorts of backgrounds, but we've been connected through beach cleans. People I've like made friendships with through plastic, which is a very weird way to make friends, but it's that connection. It's brought it brings you together. And there's so many ways you could do silent disco beach cleans, which is something I've been involved in and I think is so fun. But then, like you, the competitiveness of a scavenger hunt to find the oldest thing or a piece of sea glass or a bone. I could do it every day. Yeah, absolutely. I'm with you there. Like, we all often say that, you know, our community of beach cleaners is, is more like a family now. You know, a lot of these people somehow I've known for seven years. And it's almost like, you know, people say your hairdresser is like your therapist because you just sit there and you say things to your hairdresser that you wouldn't say to anyone else. I do find like beach cleaning is the same because you're kind of switched off. You're just walking along a beach and like, it's um like active rest. You're just it is. Walking, it's a very meditative state. You're, you're outside. And so you're already benefiting like your mental health and your physical health by being outside. So you're already in a better space and then you're with people you love and care about. So you just, it all just comes out. Some of yeah. the best ideas probably come out on beach clean, the deepest conversations. Yeah. Yeah. Best things you'll learn. Exactly. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I've, I've learned, I've learned an awful lot from our volunteers and hopefully they've learned something from me too. <laughs> so this is something Beach Guardian really encourages is to power people as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, the power of people, the power of the individual, but also the collective power of the community when everybody does something. And because we are living by the coast, coastal communities especially are so valuable and do so much. Oh, I agree. I absolutely describe, you know, beach cleaners as, um, you know, we're on the front line against plastic pollution. We're the ones that see it every day. We're the ones that have 
you know, hauled ghost fishing nets off the beach that have entangled sharks and all kinds of things. And we're the ones that have to experience those harrowing things, but we're still the ones that get up every day and go do another do beach it. clean in spite of that. So yeah, it's, it's super powerful. I like the way you said at the front line, actually, I didn't think of it like that, but it's true. You're like, it is in, true. We're in the trenches of it. We see it all from the fin whale <laughs> right? that three weeks ago from now with the storms it's bringing a lot of stuff honestly the things that I have seen through this I like they will stay with me forever you know we we all of us everyone has a story of something that has shocked them to the core and yet through our resilience we carry we on. keep beach cleaning it it does not knock us down it doesn't make us think there's no hope I'm gonna stop every time it inspires us to do more I agree 100% yes. so let's go tap into your P- your your PhD brain mm-hmm. so it's estimated that 120 trillion microplastics are already floating in the world's oceans allowing bacteria fungi viruses to attach to the surface which create these unique communities compared to the natural naturally occurring ones and you are, this is what you're working on. You're working on a PhD on the topic of microplastics and anti-microbial, micro, anti, you. Anti-microbial resistance. You know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. Don't worry. Can you tell us more about this research you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. You're right. It, it, it absolutely is a mouthful. Whenever people are like, what's the title of your PhD? And I'm just like diseases and microplastics it's much easier to say (laughs) um but basically you know exactly as you said when any material goes into the environment into the ocean uh it becomes like a micro reef so all of the bacteria and the fungi and the viruses and the micro algae will stick and grow on the substrate so wood for example when it goes into the environment it will become a bit slimy and this is the microbial community growing on the wood of course yeah exactly you know you don't want to think that yeah this is something that we see all the time but we don't like think about it you know if you go to a harbor and there's boats in the water the boat that's below the, the like area of the boat that Slimy. is below the surface is covered in like a yellow a, a green slime this is a biofilm so it's not just algae there's bacteria fungi all kinds of things growing there and it really is a, a miniature reef if you like mm-hmm. if you were to zoom in there's a 3d structure to it they're all talking to each other obviously i'm kind of anthropomorphic anthropomorphizing these things because who knows if they know that they're talking to each other but you know I like to think of it as this really kind of abundant and vibrant community and the same thing happens to plastic when plastic gets into the ocean stuff starts growing on it um so what I was interested in investigating is that because there's so much plastic in the ocean and because that plastic persists and is transported, can it carry these attached microbial communities into new environments? And also, could it then be responsible for spreading diseases? So when I started looking at this, I realised that amongst those communities where they can pass information from one another, 
they can pass genetic information, which means that they're harder to treat with antibiotics. So now we have this like coexistence of various problems where we have bacteria that are capable of causing diseases in humans and animals. And we also have the potentially enhanced ability of these organisms to survive drug therapy. So if people are more likely to be exposed to these drugs because of the exposed these uh, infections because of the prevalence of microplastics, we've got a real problem on our hands. Uh, so that that's what my research is looking into. That's really interesting because, of course, like if you're a sea swimmer or you're in the ocean all the time, you're exposed to this. Exactly. But if you then get poorly or unwell, you actually might not be able to get the right medicine, the drugs to help because you've become the the resistance is so strong yeah exactly and actually so um i work in the medical school lab group here at the university of exeter in penryn and we work in the environment so we we look at antimicrobial resistance which is traditionally a clinical thing people only really care about it in the hospital as an environmental threat because of, for example, sewage going into the environment and taking antimicrobial residues into the environment. And one of my colleagues, Dr. Anne Leonard, did this really fascinating study that was um, really well publicized around the world. And what she did was she compared the, uh, the colonization, so um, I guess the prevalence of bacteria in people's intestinal tracts um, between people who surf and people who don't surf. And she wanted to see that if these people that use the water for recreational uses have more or less drug resistant E. coli in their intestinal tract than people that don't use the water sources. And she found that the surfers were more likely to be colonized by drug resistant E. coli than the people that were not. So it is an exposure route. People that are in these environments are more likely to be exposed to these things. And I'm saying if they're ingesting microplastics as well, then those microplastics are carrying those communities into our systems. That's really interesting. Mm, but scary. <laughs> yeah, but it's come at the right time to do this kind of research really yeah because absolutely. we're getting all these statistics to learn about this more i mean while plastic's becoming more of a problem having solutions to this is a very realistic thing that can happen and is happening you're gonna figure out the solutions and the research and well let's hope so i mean in terms of proposing solutions it, the solutions are sort of very much the same as um as what I would say for like reducing plastic consumption, you know, the less plastic that's in the environment, the less that this is a threat. What I really want to see is increased monitoring of this. Mm. So I recently asked a question to the government um, and I basically said, like, what are you doing about this? And they were like, we're not we're not even looking at this. This isn't on our radar. We well, don't we even see this as a problem. Yeah. So the fact that, you know, microplastics are hardly even monitored. Very few wastewater treatment plants know how many microplastics are emitted into the environment because it's it's just not widely done. 
So if we're not even looking at the quantities of microplastics, then how on earth are we going to understand the risk that they pose in the spread of disease? Because we're not looking at it. That's the scary side of it. There's just no yeah. monitoring of it. Exactly. So I what I obviously I don't want to find that the situation is really dire. Yeah. But if I find that it is really dire and microplastics are a huge uh, disease risk. You then can take we that to policies that they... governments exactly like, here's the proof exactly now please exactly. consider this as something you should monitor more regularly yeah yeah, yeah. that's so, so fascinating hopefully so i've got a paper coming out well touch wood <laughs> unless the peer review process absolutely <sighs> kills me um hopefully we'll have a paper coming out next month or the month after that mm-hmm. shows our initial findings And then we have a couple more that will hopefully come out before I finish my PhD middle of next year. And I really hope that through that evidence, we can then use that um, for for the policy side of things. And would that be, I guess, your next step as Beach Guardian with whatever is the outcome of this? You can then add this towards the work you're doing and put a bit more pressure on policies and governments and campaigns. Yes, I think so. Yeah, yeah. I think that's definitely the route that we're we're going to go down. And I mean, I love um, academia, and I would like to stay in academia. So, from like a personal, you know, as an Emily side of things, I, I want to, you know, Continue. do a postdoc or a fellowship and keep researching because this is pilot findings. We need to have more. Uh, yeah, it needs to go further. Exactly. Yeah. But from a Beach Guardian thing, absolutely. We want to keep campaigning, banging the drum and doing the grassroots on the ground conservation to to tackle the threat, the wider threats of plastic pollution. So recently you have also been working on a feature length film a documentary which highlights the journey of both environmentalists and artists. Can you tell us a little bit more about this documentary? Yeah, so, I mean, the the story behind the documentary is quite funny because, so, you know, we're talking about Beach Guardian being a family affair, as well as both me and my dad being the co-founders of Beach Guardian. My older brother, Alex, also works for Beach Guardian and he's a filmmaker. So he's been um, documenting the work of Beach Guardian for years and years. And um, the particular focus of this documentary was our eight metre long humpback whale sculpture made 100% out of ghost fishing gear. I mean, there is a steel frame holding it together, but the whale structure itself is made out of ghost fishing gear. And Alex wanted to, that's my brother's name, Alex. He wanted to make a short film about this. And the aim was to make it a a 20 minute short film that we could post on social media. And from everything that happened as a result of making this whale, it's now become like a full length 90 minute feature documentary. Um, So we thought, you know, that we have to honour this in the right way so we're going all out with a film premiere and everything like that we're going to take it on a tour and that's um, amazing yeah all around the country so it's very very exciting and the documentary is called the tales of cetus 
And that is because our whale is called Cetus, named after the constellation of the whale. Hmm. And so I can't claim the story of Cetus as, you know, an entirely Beach Guardian thing, because, as you said, this is a story of conservation, but also art. And we can't even remember what year it was now, because it's all blurred into one, but a few years ago, we met Andrew Whittle, who is an artist who um, kind of made a name for himself on a Netflix show called The Big Flower Fight. And The Big Flower Fight was basically like the Great British Bake Off, but instead of making cakes, you would make sculptures. Oh, wow. um, and they were kind of living sculptures made out of plants. And one of the episodes, so each episode had a different theme. And one of the episode's uh, themes was plastic pollution. So we teamed Ah. up with Netflix and we said, we've got a load of plastic pollution. So we took all of our waste uh, up to their secret filming location and they made their sculptures from our plastic waste. Oh, amazing. Yeah. So as a result of that, Andrew went on to win the show and the prize of the show was to have a sculpture featured in Kew Gardens and he decided to make a humpback whale sculpture out of ghost fishing gear and plants. But then the problem was that after the installation at Kew, the, the sculpture was going to be scrapped because they didn't have anywhere to house it. And he thought, you know, this is completely against the the wasteful mindset that we're trying to Yeah, the to whole eradicate. thought process behind making it. Yeah, so he was like, can can I donate it to Beach Guardian? So oh, wow. they, they kind of said, well, yeah, but this sculpture is, the, the way that it is uh, designed is unique to Q. You're going to have to remake it. So we're like, well, that's great. Oh. So we, we got the sculpture brought down to Padstow, uh, where our facility is. And with the community and Andrew, we rewove the whale 100% out of fishing gear. And then Andrew stayed on, moved to Cornwall, and now no way. So, yeah, it's it's been incredible. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. He's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. That's so, and so now you have this whale and it's it's Beach Guardians and you go around. What what were you doing? You went to Boardmasters with it, didn't you? Yeah. So now we kind of use Cetus as a, a monument to sustainability. And, um, you know, because, I mean, it's not an easy job to move her, but Andrew has figured out a way of putting her on a flatbed lorry and we can take her to various places. So she, she's been all over the place. So she wow. was at G7. She met Boris Johnson. Um, he also made a second installation He made a stone circle out of scaled up microplastics, which he took to COP. Um, And then he, what Cetus has also been, Cetus went to a film, the film premiere of Seaspiracy. And then we've also been taking Cetus to festivals because this is Didn't go to Reading, went to Glastonbury. um, Glastonbury. That's it. Yeah. So Cetus has been at Glastonbury twice now. 
Uh, Boardmasters, Rock Oyster Festival, Spring Classic. She she's been around, and this year we're she's you know she's in high demand now. So wow. a lot of the big festivals are, are hoping to get seaters. So it's it's great because the demographic of people that attend festivals, uh, people conservationists would typically say that these are the hardest to engage. It's not my experience, but you know the eighteen to twenty eight year olds uh, are some of the least lesser represented people on beach cleans on average across the UK yeah so getting uh the whale getting seaters to these festivals just means that we're spreading that message to young adults which is is really brilliant that's incredible I had no idea that was the backstory yeah it's a good story so that story is going to be communicated along with lots of other things in this documentary and I haven't actually seen the documentary. It's going to be a surprise to me. So I'm going to this premiere completely Blind. clueless. Wow! So I'm very exciting to see. Excited to to see what's what's in the film. So when is this premiere? Is there just one date? Is there several? Yeah. So the actual premiere is on the 24th of February, and it's hosted at the Regal Cinema in Wadebridge. And then we have a whole load of film screenings coming after that in lots of different places. So we will be releasing further dates and information on our social media Amazing. when we've cleared it up. <laughs> oh, so I'll definitely come along to one of those. That's great. That sounds cool. Yeah, you oh. should do. It'd be great. So I guess we'll kind of wrap up. Is what message or word of advice would you give to listeners that? want to make a difference and that they do have the power as an individual to protect the marine environment and battle the plastic problem what what advice do you give to someone who wants to take action i think to kind of end i'll go back to one of the things that we said at the beginning and that was that you know there are so many ways that we can tackle this my friend um, and I guess colleague at the university, Dan Wilson, who's doing a PhD on microplastics, he describes plastic pollution as a wicked problem in that there's no silver bullet for plastic pollution. There's no one solution. There's hundreds, if not thousands of solutions, which means that there's not one size fits all for, for everybody. And I think that is what's exciting about this is that the way that you tackle this problem will be unique to you. Mm-hmm. And that's so empowering, knowing that, you know, the difference that you can make and the difference that that you are capable of making is is your own. And it's I unique think to you. it is. Yeah. And I think that kind of ownership and responsibility that we have, uh, you know, in our role in tackling this is a real strength. I really like that and that's something I've kind of realized recently is you know there's so much that can be done and but it's your and you can follow your passion but your passion will take you to a very unique place to wherever that passion takes you it is not the same to anyone else exactly I agree with that you just follow the way that you know to make the change and it will be different in your own way and that's why it will be so special Exactly. Yeah, it's a very powerful thing. I love that. Is there anything else you'd like to say to listeners? 
not to listeners but I guess thank you to you for inviting me to to join your podcast it's been really lovely to talk to you no thank you I've, I've been wanting I'm just so surprised we've not crossed paths and I'm just glad we've been able to meet you um it's yeah. been lovely talking to you well, hopefully I'll see you in real life at a film screening soon definitely a hundred percent That was the wonderful Emily Stevenson. Emily, thank you so much for putting time aside to talk to me. I had a lovely time just connecting with you, talking about our shared passions for beach cleaning and the marine environment, also hearing your personal stories or how you got to where you are today and Beach Guardian's journey and the work you're doing. It's incredible and inspiring and I hope listeners felt the same. If you would like to follow Beach Guardian's journey, you can by following their social medias at Beach Guardian. They also have a website that is full of incredible information and resources on the work they are doing. So definitely go check that out. And if you're local, head to one of their events. They often organise beach cleans and keep an eye out for the Tower of Cetus as it will be touring very soon. So look out for those tickets and watch that film. That is a wrap from me. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if you'd like to follow my social medias, you can. It is under Buccaneer for Wildlife. I also have an email. And if you want to reach out for whatever reason, whether there is a person you think I should talk to or any feedback about the show or just simply want to reach out, please do. I'd love to connect and hear from my listeners so drop me an email at buccaneerforwildlife at gmail.com I hope you enjoy the rest of February and enjoy the start of March spring is slowly coming and nature and the world outside is slowly waking up again which is wonderful to see And so with that, I hope March brings you lots of joy and I shall speak to you all very soon.